Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, we're so glad that you're here today. Thank you for being here. And uh, first of all, if you're uh, new with us this morning, we are so honored that you came today. And as Tom mentioned earlier, there's a card. And if you haven't had a chance, we invite you to take this card, fill this out, let us know about your visit with us today. And we're thankful that you came to worship with us. And uh, we're in the middle of a series um, called, well, we just started last week, uh, a, a new series called Fisher Upper. Fisher Upper, and we'll continue to talk about how to remodel your marriage relationship or being prepared for a marriage relationship. In fact, I've been busy with weddings lately. Did a wedding, and we've got a new couple that just married. We're Dominic and Kristen. Where are you guys at? Over here. All right. They just, they just got back from the honeymoon. And so we, we've been working on this message series. And, um, and we've got uh, God is doing some incredible stuff in lives everywhere. And um, marriage relationship. And then if you know the fish dropper based on the, on a TV show, Chip and Joanne again, how many of you watch that show? Raise your hand. You watch it. All right. There's a good group here. All right. How many of you ever been to Waco, Texas to go to the Magnolia Farm? We got anybody in here? All right. How many of you want to? Ladies, let me see. I, I, see, oh, I see some men. Okay. All right. There you go. Um, you want to go down there. Well, we're going to be talking about repairing, fixing our marriage. And uh, one thing that we talked about last week, several things that we talked about as way of review, we said that all marriages, they start as a fixer-upper. Our marriage relationship is a fixer-upper relationship. It's a fixer-upper. The, 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 the man and the woman, they come together. They're not perfect. Even though in their dating life, they try to present their best self, you know, you find out that after you get married, you know, they're not as perfect as you thought they were. And so we understand, and we have to understand, that marriage is start as a picture-upper. Marriage is high maintenance. It takes work. Nothing fixes a marriage better than making God your number one and your spouse your number two. And we talked about this last week. If you're not married, you have to seek God as your one while preparing for your two. If you're married, make God your one with your spouse as your two. And then we challenged everyone last Sunday to establish a keystone habit. A keystone habit as we seek God, because I, I could have listed a thousand things to, to seek God with. But we, we, we thought if we could get you to do one thing, and that one thing was to pray. Pray together as a couple. To make that a habit every day, throughout the week. The husband and wife finding time to pray. And, and that's, a, that's a challenging step because when you look at the research, 8% of married Christian couples pray. Only 8%. And so we challenge us to pray. We challenge you to pray. I know so many of you talked to me about that and mentioned, hey, we're working on it. We're going to work on praying. And we figure if we can start praying, that the other stuff most likely will follow suit. But pray, pray, and pray as you're seeking God 
making him your number one, and making your spouse your number two. Now, I want to talk today about holding nothing back in your marriage relationships. Holding nothing back. Going all in. How many of you married somebody that was kind of the opposite of you? Raise your hand. All right, all right, there you go. All right. What's interesting is people often say that when you're dating, opposites attract. When you're dating, opposites attract. Unfortunately, for some people, when they get married, what happens? Instead of attracting like they once were, the opposite start attacking. They start attacking. Sometimes that happens. We tend to attack. For example, when you're dating, she may be really laid back. She may be really easygoing. And then, when you get married, you think, man, what a lazy bum. She needs to do something. Or he may be really organized. He's very driven. And in the dating relationship, you think, man, that's so awesome. You know, he is so, you know, he is so driven. And then you get married, you think, he's a control freak. What once attracted, you're now attacking. Opposite tend to attract, and then later on, they often attack. Now, in my marriage, Karen is very, very different than me. She's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. She's a feeler. I'm a thinker. She's Dr. Smell the Roses. I drive over them because I'm in a hurry. <laughs> I've got a lot of wild ideas, a lot of crazy ideas. She got lots of reasons why my ideas are too wild to try. Not to try to do them. The good thing is that we really are different because if we're the same, then one of us would be unnecessary, right? Because God actually uses the difference in our marriage to enhance or to strengthen our relationship. Let me say that again. God uses the difference in our marriage relationship to strengthen the relationship. But Satan, understand this, Satan wants to come in and take those differences and try to divide. God wants to use those differences to strengthen. God, Satan wants to come in and try to divide the marriage relationship. And so before I continue, let me just say this. And I want to say this with all my sincerity, sensitivity, and understanding. That I know that there are some here that have experienced the pain and the brokenness of divorce. And I know that there are so many of you that would say, I didn't want this. I didn't want this to happen. I would have done anything not for it to happen. And I know that there might be some who say, you know what, I did some things that were stupid, and I was really, it was really my fault in a lot of ways. And so here's my heart. I want you to hear this. Here's my heart. 
in this sermon series, in this message, my heart is not to create any guilt, any condemnation for what's happened in the past. My heart is to build a foundation today that we can build on for marriages now and in the future that will not only last, but that will be God-honoring and generation-changing. So understand, I'm saying this with all my heart. To understand we can't change the past. But we can talk about the future, and we have to be honest about what the Bible teaches. So I wanted to say that up front. Now, if I could go back to the notes, if I could sum up the idea of a marriage partnership, if you're taking notes, marriages should be about we and not about me. When we're thinking about holding nothing back, marriages should be about we and not about me. When we enter into a covenant relationship with our spouse, till death do us part, we should say from this moment on, life is not about me. It's not about me. Life is about we together, us serving and glorifying God together. Our life will be about we and not about me. Now, Matthew chapter 19, I want you to see what Jesus said. He quoted a passage of Scripture. He quoted a passage of Scripture from Genesis. Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. It's now a we forever, not a me forever. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now how can we actually live this out, this verse, this passive scripture? How can we live in a marriage where it's all about we, and not about me. How can we live this out in a world of selfishness? In a world of pain? With so much divorce? How can we actually live this out? Let me start with this. So often people say that marriage is just a piece of paper. Marriage is just a piece of paper. Implying that marriage is just a contract. It's just something that the justice of peace or the officiant will sign. What we need to understand is that marriage is not a contract. I've been using this word a couple times already, that marriage is actually a covenant. And there's a big difference between a contract and a covenant. A huge difference. If you're taking notes, here's the big difference. A contract is based on mutual distrust. A contract is based on mutual distrust. And a lot of people treat their marriage like it's a contract. And when you do that, it's based on mutual distrust. In other words, 
since I don't know you well enough to take you at your word, I'm going to make you sign on a piece of paper to say that you will live up to your end of the bargain. And if you don't, if you don't, then I can pull out of the bargain. I can pull out of the deal. That's what a contract is. You sign contracts all the time. No, if you buy a new car, you sign a contract. If you buy a house, you sign a contract. Sign a contract if you borrow money from a bank. And, and, and it's a contract based on mutual, mutual distrust. The bank's not going to give the money away and just hope to God that you're going to pay them back. And so as long as you keep your end of the deal, the bank will continue to take care of you financially at the contract. A contract says, I'm in as far as you're in. Since I don't trust you fully, I'm going to have you sign this contract to prove your faithfulness. And if you're not faithful, then I'm backing out. That's the contract. Now, a covenant is entirely different. A covenant isn't based on mutual distrust. Here's what covenant is. It's based on mutual commitment. Mutual commitment. In other words, we are both in 100% with every part of our being. We're all in. We're all the way in. The Hebrew word translates the word covenant. The word means a cutting. A cutting. It means a binding agreement. It's literally known as a blood covenant. In fact, if you look in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, you see the word covenant used several times. You'll see that Abraham and God did a covenant. And there was a promise. You know, and God promised Abraham that he was going to bless him, that he was going to be a father of a great nation, and that all the nations would be blessed because of Abraham and because of, of the, the nation that he would be the father of. And, of course, we know the story of Abraham. He became the father of Israel. And out of Israel, we have a Savior named Jesus. And he blesses the whole world for those who have a relationship with Christ. And so we see that in the Old Testament, in the covenant, what's happening. By the way, every time there was a covenant, there was a ritual that would happen. It would involve a sacrifice of an animal. They would cut the animal in two. And then the two parties would walk together and they figure eight around the two parts of the animal. And they would walk around and do the figure eight, and they would do it so many times. And then at the end of that moment, they would, they would take a knife, and they would cut. That's where the covenant would come from. They would cut into the palm of their hand, the two parties. And then they would join hands together, and they would make an agreement that we are in it together. And if we ever break this covenant, if we ever break this, may it be done to us what happened to this animal. And that was the covenant. In the New Testament, by the way, Jesus Christ, he became our covenant, who died on the cross, the Lamb of God, who sacrificed his life and gave his life 
and shed his blood. And we no longer live under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, but we live in the New Testament, or in other words, the New Covenant through Jesus Christ. We have salvation because he paid the price and he paid it all. He went all the way in with or without us. He said, I am dying on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Now, again, this is, this is what happened in the Old Testament marriage. Husband and wife, to be, they would come to the priest and say, we want to get married. And the priest would be like, okay, where's the animal? And they bring the animal. I mean, this is the wedding ceremony. All right? this, man, this is how it's done. The priest would cut the animal in half. Uh, this, would be not, this would not be a good idea, by the way, for the bride to wear a white dress. Uh, it's not a good idea. And they would walk together in a marriage ceremony. They would walk together in a figure eight around those two animals. By the way, the figure eight is a symbol of what? Eternity. Uh, and then, then they would come together and they would do the cutting of hands. Uh, instead of a, you know, a wedding ring, you know, they have a scar on the palm of their hand that symbolizes that they have made a covenant to each other. And then the priest would join their hands. And this is where Adam and Eve, when we read in Genesis, where God said, there will be bones of my bones, flesh of my flesh. What man is brought together, when husband and wife being brought together, let no man separate. It's hard to separate blood and the DNA once it mingles in together. It's impossible. God said they become one. They become one. And that was a marriage covenant. That's a marriage covenant. We don't do that today. Alright? We don't do that. I did use that, by the way, in one of the weddings I've done. Um, I did that whole graphic thing. I thought, you know, I'm going to change it up. You know, and and uh, because I got, you know, it's kind of like the same thing. I do it all the time. I said, you know what? I'm going to change it up. I'm going to talk about, you know, a covenant wedding in the Old Testament. And, and because there's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of things about it. And so when I did it for my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, just, you know, because I thought I could do, get away with it with them. And, uh, and so they still appreciate me very much for really being very graphic in the wedding ceremony. And so I've retired that message. But I wanted to share that with you because there is some biblical implication. In fact, uh, David Livingston, famous missionary in Africa, back in the 1800s, he was from England and he went to Africa and served, you know, the natives all in the deep hearts of Africa. And there was a time period when nobody was like, I don't think he's alive. We haven't heard from Livingston in forever. He hadn't come out of the, out of the, the dark, deep, dark heart of Africa. And so the, the London reporter, called uh, uh, Stanley was his last name. How, how many? What's his first name? Do you remember? All right, never mind. Stanley. Stanley who, what? All right, I got Stanley. I don't, can't remember the first name. But Stanley, he was a newsman. He was a news reporter. He was like, all right. They sent him out to Africa and said, find Livingston. Find Livingston. Find this guy. Make sure he's alive. And so 
Stanley went into the 1800s, so you didn't have internet, you didn't have emails, you didn't have, you know, it was a very hard world to live in. And so he searched Africa and finally came to what he thought was Livingston, Dr. Livingston. And he asked a very famous question, Dr. Livingston, I presume. It's one of the most famous questions apparently in history. Dr. Livingston, I presume, and, and it was him. He found him. He was alive. And, and so Stanley sat down with him and said, what kept you alive all this time? How come you're still alive? I mean, this is a savage area. I mean, you've got savages everywhere and tribal warfare and, and a lot of different tribes. How do you stay alive? And Livingston, I'm sorry, Livingston, Dr. Livingston, he raised his hand up. And Stanley saw scars upon scars upon scars upon scars all down his arm. And Stanley said, what's that? He said, every time I came to a new tribe and I befriend them, that tribal nation and I will make a covenant that they will take care of me, that they will protect me, that they will watch over me. And I did it with multiple multiple native nations. I have so many scars so that when I have, when I stumble upon a native tribe that, that want to kill me, that want to, you know, take my head off, get their head hunters, all I have to do is raise my arm and they see the scars knowing that I am a covenant of protection among all the tribes in Africa, they back off. The covenant. A covenant. A contract marriage. Let me say this. It says, I'm in as far as you're in. A covenant marriage says, I'm all in regardless. Holding nothing back. I am all in regardless. This is a holy covenant. I'm in 100% from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others. I will be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. So help me, God. A covenant. A binding agreement. I'm in 100%. Again, it's not 50-50. It's not, I'm in as far as you're in. It's 100%. Marriage is never dividing everything in half. It's giving everything you've got. Marriage is about we and not about me. Now, I want us to look real quickly to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to expound a little bit more on this passage of Scripture. But I just want to look here real quick. In Ephesians chapter 5, and, and I want to unpack this next statement. Here's the next statement, if you're taking note. A covenant marriage, a covenant partnership is godly leadership and mutual submission. Godly leadership and mutual submission. A covenant marriage. Now the moment I say the word submission, 
I know that some people, they freak out. And it's understandable because that word is oftentimes misused and abused. But I want you to notice is I said mutual, mutual submission. And Ephesians 5, I just want to look at one verse today out of chapter 5. When the Apostle Paul talked about marriage, he actually starts with submitting to one another. Spouses, if you're taking notes, should submit humbly to each other. Look at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This, this verse right here talked, it had this whole, whole idea about holding nothing back. It's about going all in. It's submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, I know people think when we use that word submission, you know, they add that they're allergic to the very concept. The truth is, is that everybody practically submits to somebody, whether you know it or not. We simply decide when we're going to do it, where we're going to do it, and to whom we're going to do it. There's even a posture that we adopt almost naturally as a natural reflex when it comes to submitting. When we have the sense to submit, for example, when we are broken or in guilt, we oftentimes will fall to our knees, physically expressing what we're feeling, feeling emotionally. When a subject comes before a king, what does he do? He gets on his knees, he submits, he acknowledges that he is in the presence of the master or his master. When a believer in a religion, any religion, they come to pray to his God, what does he do? He, most, most of the time, they fall on their knees in the presence of their God. Now understand this. You really cannot have the marriage you ought to have and be the husband you ought to be or the wife you ought to be and meet God's expectations if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, don't miss this. Everything I'm saying here is for those who are followers of Jesus. Don't miss the motivation for the submission. Look at verse 21. We do this out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. The single greatest relationship a husband has in a marriage it's not, a marriage, it's not the relationship he has with his wife, but it's the relationship he has with Christ. The single greatest relationship a wife has in a marriage is not her husband, but it's her relationship with Jesus Christ. And the kind of husband you're going to be, the kind of wife that you're going to be, and the way that you're going to relate to each other, it all comes down to understanding these two things. Ready? What Christ did for you and who Christ is to you. It goes back to last week. God is your number one. And your spouse is your number two. God wants the husband to model God's love to his wife. 
He wants the wife to model God's love to her husband. And the way you do that is by putting the other person first. You make sure you serve his or her needs before your needs are met. God wants your marriage to be an expression of his love. Look real quickly, verse 22 and 25. And we're going to unpack these two verses later on in this series. But verse 22, wives, submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. But then verse number 25, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her husband. You are to sacrifice for your wife. You are to sacrifice. It all goes back to how God loves us. He wants us to express his love. What is God's love? But God's love is unconditional. God's love is, I'm all in regardless of what you've done, where you've been. I love you so much that I send my only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. While we were yet sinners, while we weren't even in at all, Christ died for you. He went all the way when we weren't even in the game. It's a word of love. Like God loved us. We're not keeping records of wrong. We're not keeping scores. When it's okay, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. No, we're not counting that. What the hell? I am all in regardless. I am all in submitting to one another. It all goes back to your reverence for Christ. You know what it means to reverence for Christ? When you reverence Jesus Christ, when you reverence him, you're putting Jesus where he belongs. Where does he belong? Well, Jesus belongs on the throne of your heart. He belongs first place in your life. And when you have Jesus first place in your life, Here's what you'll find. When you put Christ where he needs to be, then you will put your spouse where he or she needs to be. She'll be where she needs to be when you put Christ and make him number one. Now, I want to close with the final thought. Your marriage will be as good as both of you decided will be. They're taking notes. Your marriage will be as good as both of you decide it will be. And every word I said is important. It's as you decide. Both of you. And I understand that there are some of you, you're not in a place where one of you isn't all in. I understand that. I understand there's some of you that you're here, but your husband or your wife it's not here. But what we've been talking about, the covenant. The covenant says, we're not in it for someone else's in. I am all in regardless. We are in with everything that we can to honor God in this relationship. And if God does work in both of you, and you both come together and decide we want to honor God, then you can have a very blessed and special marriage relationship. And it won't always be easy. 
But you've got a foundation that you're building on. There'll always be a choice. And it always take work. It will always involve putting God first. And you'll always be challenged by that. You will always be challenged to replace God as number one. And you have to work at it. You have to fight for it. Make God number one in your marriage. You can come up with all kinds of good excuses not to have God in first place this week. You say, you know what, God, we're too busy. We're going to have to put you on the side, in the back seat of our lives, and we'll get back to you in a couple of weeks when life slows down. You can make all kinds of excuses you want. It's going to take work. It's going to take work to keep him number one in your marriage. And when you put him where he belongs, then you can start treating where you got, start treating each other where you belong. And I promise you, there's going to be times where you just don't feel like it. There's going to be times when you just don't feel like making God number one and submitting to one another. There's going to be times where you don't feel like holding nothing back. There's going to be times. There's going to be times where you just don't feel like loving. There's going to be times when you don't feel like forgiving. There's going to be times where you don't feel like working at it. And I say this, and I mean this. Get over your feelings. Got to get over it. We got to get over it. There's no other area of your life where you can get away with saying, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like feeding the baby today. But give that a few days and see how that worked out for you. I don't feel like getting up today and going to work. I don't feel like working. I feel like I'm just going to take the whole summer off. I don't feel like it. And, you know, see how long that lasts before you start starving. Or you say, you know what, I don't feel like paying my taxes. All right, well then, you know, tell me how it feels like to be in prison later on. We can always let our feelings control you, but you can't. You have to get over your feelings. You have to get over it. When you understand your marriage is not measured by your feelings, your marriage is measured by your commitment. It is measured by your commitment. You're both in a covenant. Feeling will follow commitment when you stay committed. When I'm in the right place, with the help of God, when she's in the right place, with the help of God, holding nothing back, we understand we're in a covenant together. We can start living a life that's united. What God has brought together. Only God can take two broken people. Only God can take two fixture-uppers and unite them for his glory. Now, let's get practical and then we'll finish. Practical step. What's my homework? You got homework. Last week, what was the homework? To pray. Get together with your the, the spouse. Pray. If you're not married, you get with your boyfriend or girlfriend and pray. If you don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend, you just pray. Pray with a friend. Get an accountability partner. Just pray for God's best for my life as I seek God, number one. You start praying. You start praying. 
Alright, and so that was last week's homework assignment. By the way, you keep doing that, okay? There's not a term, time limit on that homework. You should keep doing that, okay? Prayer is a good thing. Here's the next homework. I'm going I'm to challenge you to do this this week. Your homework is to go to your spouse if you're taking notes. And you ask your spouse this question. You're to ask this question once a day, every day. And the question is, how can I serve you today? How can I serve you today? Holding nothing back. What can I do for you today? I want to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to love you like Christ loved me. I want to serve you in a mutual submission to each other. I have never seen a marriage fail when the husband and the wife knock each other out, trying to serve each other all the time. I've never seen a marriage fail when they're serving each other. Now, let me give you some idea. Husband, here's an idea. I, you know, you could tweak it however you want to do it, however you want to do it, okay? Fish dinner one night. That's an idea. Fish dinner one night. Even if that means a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, bag of potato chip, and a Coke, you know? If that's all you can do, just do something. That, that's just an idea. I'm not saying you have to do that, but it's an idea. Wives, wives, give your husband a head massage when he comes home from work. Husband, bathe the kids, and you put them to bed. It's an idea. Just trying to get the wheel turning here. Wives, maybe cook his favorite meal. Husband, take your wife out on a date night. Do something that you know that she will love. Wives, offer to go to your husband's favorite sporting event, even if you don't like it. Just go. Your ideas. I'm not saying you have to do these ideas. I'm just trying to get the wheel turning. You get the point. Serve one another. Submit to each other. In a mutual submission. Holding nothing back. Start treating your marriage. Not a, not a contract based on mutual distrust, but start living your marriage based on a covenant, a mutual commitment. I am all in, regardless of how far you go in. I'm going all the way. I'm not keeping scores. I'm not, I'm not checking the stats. I am in all the way. And I pray that you will this week. Start living a marriage life, holding nothing back. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that your word is the blueprint. It's the blueprint to have a great marriage. In our picture of a marriage, you have a plan. And you teach us how to do it. And God, there's a lot of ideas that the world had to that the world had to offer. But the idea that the world teaches is broken. But your word has stood the test of times. And God, I pray that we live by it. God, I pray that this week we start serving one another. All in. In a covenant relationship. God, I pray that we start seeking you. And, and, and God, I pray that we put you in the right place in our marriage. 
out of reverence for Christ, we submit to each other. God, I pray that that's the motivation. That we put you in the proper place. And God, when we put you in a proper place in our own lives, then we'll start putting our spouses in the right place as well. I pray that we live for you. Live by your word. In your name I pray. Amen.